Let me lead us in prayer as we go to God's Word. We even take just a brief moment of silence where you can pray and ask the Lord to help me and to help you this morning. Oh Lord, open your Word to us this morning. Open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your law, from your Word. Lord, help us to see the work that you have done for us that is outside of us through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, help us to see your great grace and your lavish love that you pour into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we would not place experience our experience in any way above truth, in any way that it would trump your word. But Lord, we do pray that the truth of the gospel, the truth of your word, the truth of the cross would very much shape and inform our experience. So help us this morning, we pray. Give us the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to continue reading for a moment or for a few minutes in verse 12. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, Romans 5.13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I'm at verse 18 of Romans 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 
Beloved friends, there is a, there is a funeral uh, in Wayne County uh, this Tuesday afternoon. It is, as many of you already know, it is the funeral of a very young girl who many of us had the opportunity and the privilege to know, Allie Craft. I think it is safe to say that just a matter of four months ago, None of us never have a, what we completely call a normal life, but nevertheless, just a matter of four months ago, life, at least as it pertained to Allie, was normal. And then a doctor's visit led to an ER visit and ultimately culminated last week on Monday morning uh, in Allie's death. I think we would all say that this would easily fit under the umbrella of the word trial, or suffering. No question about it. Our brother Will this morning has shared in his testimony of being diagnosed with cancer at the age of 30, and that in a very serious way, not knowing which way it would lead. In the passage that we've read this morning, in particular in the passage that Ryan read there in verses 5, 1 through 11. He read our text, and I read the context for that passage. Paul doesn't say as a command. He's not giving a command when he says, you need to rejoice in sufferings. No, he says this is, this is what we as Christians do. In a sense, this is, this is who we are. As those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he says there, particularly in verse 3, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Glance at it with me. In Romans 5, 3, get, get the full picture. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Let me ask you to do something for just a moment. Keep your Bibles open and, and grab a hymnal if you would, even here during the, during the sermon. Turn to page 63. I want to show you something that I think is fascinating. Turn to page 63 in the black hymnal there. You'll notice at the bottom of the page that the author of this hymn is John Newton. You may know John Newton because he wrote Amazing Grace. And the Lord rescued him as he does for all of us if we are Christians out of deep rebellion and sin and he saved him by his marvelous grace. I want you to look at this, this song, this hymn, and I'm not trying to say that it is a direct commentary on Will's circumstances or on what the crafts are going through, but I will say it's clearly not the way we think in the church today in so many ways. As with uh, so many hymns, it started as a poem. And the title of the poem was this, Prayers Answered by Crosses. Prayer Answered by 
crosses. And I want you to notice how this reads, not even like a hymn or a poem, it reads like a story. Just look at it. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. I don't think we pray like this today, but God is able to help us. Verse four, instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Okay, I told you a couple weeks ago, if I do have to have a break, just talk among yourselves. Still trying to get back here to 100%. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? "'Tis in this way, the Lord replied, "'I answer prayer for grace and faith.'" The Lord speaks as as though the Lord speaks in verse seven. "'These inward trials I employ "'from self and pride to set you free "'and break thy schemes of earthly joy "'that thou mayest find your all in me.'" I ask the Lord that I might grow, John Newton, Prayer answered by crosses. What we see today, dear friends, in Romans 5, 1 through 11. Let me wet my whistle. What we see today is this. With confident hope in the future, we rejoice today. We rejoice, even boast today. As God's people, as God's people through Jesus Christ with confident hope in the future, we rejoice today. And yes, that includes our sufferings. First thing, as Will said, because we all as preachers, we've got our points. The first point this morning is is a phrase And this point, point number one, is is very, very briefly just looking at all of chapter five to take in the context as well. And the phrase is this, the phrase is much more, much more. So chapter five is a unit, it goes together. It also separates nicely into two sections. So the second section of Romans chapter five, if you're maybe looking at the ESV heading there, is death in Adam, life in Christ. So verses 12 through 21 is Adam and Christ. Adam and Christ or Adam and the second Adam or Adam and the true and better Adam as we also read about in 1 Corinthians 15. That's 12 through 21. And then verses one through 11, again, just if you just take the heading given there, 
uh, in my ESV Bible, peace with God through faith, hope of future glory. Let me just show you very quickly, uh, having just noticed there, number one, that the chapter goes together, that it can be neatly divided into these two parts. Let me just show you something that makes the whole thing hang together. And that is this phrase, much more. We see it first of all there in verse nine. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, what does he say? Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Go down to verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more, it's the third time, right? Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Simply want to say this to you this morning, is that there is an abundance of grace in Jesus Christ. There is an abundance of grace in Jesus Christ. We've been justified by his blood, and if that is true, then much more, much more, much more. As it's been said, there are three tenses to the Christian life, and our passage today helps us to see what we need to know and what we need to know in our experience as Christians, the three tenses of the Christian life. The grace of Jesus that because we are justified, our future is sure. Our future is sure, even though between then and then we endure suffering and trials. But we boast and we rejoice. So that's the first thing this morning, kind of just looking at the whole thing very quickly there. There is an abundance of grace in Jesus Christ, but if that's true, Then secondly, let me say, and here we move well into our main passage, that there is an abundance of fruit for us as believers. There is also an abundance of gospel fruit for us as believers. There's, uh, There's six things in Romans 5, 1 through 11. One of the hymns in our hymn book begins with these words, how rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we think about these six things that I'm getting ready to tell you, that's how I think about these things in verses one through 11. How rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The last time I preached from Romans, I I very quickly at the end of the sermon uh, pointed out these six things. And so let's look at them again, since that was ever so brief. What are these six things that maybe we could call the fruit of salvation? The fruit of salvation. Well, first of all, uh, we have peace with God. 
I want you to notice this with me. Look in verse one. Look uh, particularly at the second half of verse one. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. We have peace with God. Secondly, and I'll go through these quickly. Secondly, we stand in grace. And don't take my word for these. Just look at them right out of the scripture. This is in the first part of verse two. Through him, through who? He's just said at the end of verse one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse two, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we have peace with God. We stand in grace. Third, this is the second part of verse two. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And isn't that exactly what it says there at the second part of verse two? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Number four, we rejoice in our sufferings. And this is verses three through eight. As it's been pointed out, this, precisely this, this is supernatural to rejoice in our sufferings because, of course, Christianity is supernatural because it is, it is predicated, it's built upon the crucified and the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read verses three through eight. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Five, five. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What are the rich possessions that we have in Jesus Christ? What are the various fruits of our salvation? Well, we have peace with God. We stand in grace. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings. Number five, we will be saved by Christ. We will be saved by Christ. You see, what was simply what we're doing, this is just the heart of this passage, verses 1 through 11, the benefits of salvation, the benefits of salvation. This is verses 9 and 10. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We will be saved by Christ from the wrath of God. Actually, this, this passage doesn't speak of our present experience or our past experience as Christians so much in the terms of this word salvation. It speaks about salvation in the future. And if you have been uh, declared righteous by God, then you can expect and you can confidently hope to be saved 
from the wrath of God. And then sixth and finally under this point, the fruit of salvation is we rejoice in God. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Six fruits of our salvation in Christ. I'll tell you them one more time quickly. We have peace with God. We stand in grace. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We also rejoice in our sufferings. We will be saved by Christ and we rejoice in God. Six things, six things, but there is ultimately one thing. Six things, but only one thing. If these six things are the fruit of salvation, then the question is, what is the root? What is the root? And it all goes back there to verse 1a. Look look at the first part of verse 1. There in the first part of 1, Romans 5, 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And then he begins his list. Then he begins, we have peace with God. And as we have pointed out before, that verse 1 is not speaking about our experience of peace. It's not speaking about the peace of God, but it speaks about how we were God's enemies and God himself brought reconciliation. We could not bring about reconciliation with God. God was at odds with us. And so therefore God has to bring about reconciliation. He speaks first of all in the first of the six things. He doesn't speak about the peace of God. That's Philippians four. He speaks about peace with God. We've been reconciled. And all of these six fruits come from the one root, which is justification. We have been justified by faith. And no doubt you might be saying we have talked about this for sermon after sermon. Because what Paul does in the first part of verse one is he summarizes everything that he's been saying in the first four chapters. What he's been saying in the first four chapters is that we need a righteousness. We need a righteousness. And so he says there in chapter 1, 18 through 320, that we are unrighteous and we are under the wrath of God. And then beginning in 21 of chapter 3, 321, he says, there is a righteousness that God provides, which is Jesus Christ and through the cross of Jesus Christ. Notice the gospel. All six of these things that we see in verses one through 11 flow from the gospel. Just glance back at verse 23. Chapter four, chapter four, verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, that's Abraham's, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And then without breaking, so to speak, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what is the gospel? What is the gospel and from which all of our blessings as Christians flow? The gospel is Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 23 through 25. 
The gospel is Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done, His death and His resurrection. And then by grace, our response, our response to the gospel through faith and through faith alone, as Will shared, not by any works that we do, but it will be counted to us, not just Abraham. You know, it's almost as though in Romans 5, 1 through 11, you read this and you see this, this exaltation. It's as though Paul's joy is, is bubbling up. Uh, my care group that I'm leading tonight, we're using a certain, uh, a certain book, a certain study to help us think more about the local church. I was looking through the uh, various articles that we might look at tonight, and it gives little blurbs in these short articles, uh, little blurbs about the, the authors and their picture. I'm just going to point out to, to our group tonight one of these pictures. This guy just looks almost unnaturally happy. It's almost though uh, somebody took a picture of this author of this particular article right after they had told him a really funny joke. Or you see some people's picture and they're smiling in such a way as, 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 are you trying to show me that you're just a really happy person? Of course, there's always the option that they actually are. And that's great. It's as though when you read verses one through 11 here, it's as though Paul is showing and displaying his deep-rooted, his true happiness on full display. Because one of the common themes is joy. We rejoice, we exult, we boast. The gospel precludes boasting, Romans 3.27. Justification means there is no boasting. But Paul is boasting here in verses 1 through 11 because he says we can, as believers, boast in God. We can boast in God. Paul rejoices here. It's been pointed out here that in verses 1 through 11, he's changed to the first person. It's the first person plural, and so it's very personal for Paul. We rejoice like Paul, like Luther, who we've spoken of before, who discovered from the book of Romans his sin. As one other reformer reminds us, we need to see ourselves for who we really are so that we can see God for who he really is. And it works both ways. We need to see God for who he really is so that we can see ourselves for who we really are. And in all of it, we need to pray, God, show us Christ. Luther and Paul, they see here as Paul, of course, is the human author. They see here as Paul writes about the righteousness of God which is precisely what we don't have, which is precisely the gift of God to us through Jesus Christ. What about you this morning? Are you like Paul, like Luther? Do you boast in God? I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. There's a boast. We boast only in God. The first point that we've seen this morning is that phrase, much more. There is an abundance of grace in Jesus Christ. And then we notice the six fruits of salvation. And the one root from which these six things flow is there at the beginning of verse one. It's there at the end of chapter four. Let me highlight one thing in particular. Brothers and sisters of Crossway, friends, notice 
particularly in verses 5 through 8, I want you to see the work of God in us and the work of God for us. Now, this is a wonderful passage. Look at Romans 5, 5 through 8, and, and see the work of God in us and the work of God for us. First of all, go to verse 6. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is a work of God that he does in us as believers. That's verse five. We'll look at that in just a second. But there's not only a work of God that he does in us, there's a work of God that he does outside of us. And the work of God that he does for us or outside of us is the work of of Christ on the cross. And God demonstrates his love for us in the cross. I want you to just notice something. Uh, Look with me at verse six. It says he died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Look at verse eight. Christ died for us. This is good news. You need to listen to this this morning. Christ died for us, the end of verse eight. Look in the middle of verse 10. It says the death of his son. So the end of verse six, he died for the ungodly. The end of verse eight, Christ died for us as our substitute, taking our place. The middle of verse 10, by the death of his son. So clearly he's putting an emphasis here on the death of Christ. And my question is, When did Christ die for us? At what time did Christ die for us? Well, one answer to that question, at what time did Christ die for us? When did he die for us? One answer is given there in verse six, at the right time. It was God's exact right time. But then there are three other answers given. And I wonder if you would identify with these this morning. He says in verse six, What time did Christ die for us? While we were still weak. That is powerless. Verse 8, when did did Christ die for us? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Verse 10, if while we were enemies, Christ died for us. This is the objective love of God. You say, does God love me as I'm going through suffering? Does God love, does he care for the crafts? Does God care for me as I'm going through suffering? Well, look to the cross. Look to the cross where the love of God is demonstrated for you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 6 through 8. But not only that, this is the foundation. This is foundational, but also in our experience At conversion, when you become a Christian and subsequent to that time, both when we are converted and in our Christian lives, especially in suffering, because suffering is what marks so much of our lives in Christ. Verse 5 says, there is also a work of God in us. There is not only a work of God outside of us, a work of God for us, 
But he says in verse five, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is Trinitarian. This is Christ, the Son of God, dying for us. This is God, the Father's love demonstrated to us at the cross. This is his love poured into us through the Holy Spirit. And you work backwards and you go from hope to character to endurance to sufferings. And you see God's plan. And again, he's not commanding us to rejoice. He says, this is who we are as Christians. We rejoice. Our future is secure. Our future is secure because our past is all of grace. God has justified us. We are reconciled. We have been adopted. Well, I plan to wrap this up soon. If Will hadn't taken 25 minutes this morning of very helpful things. See the work of Christ. My brother and sister, see the work of Christ outside of you. And in you, it is the love of God. The defining thing about you, if you are a Christian, you are in Christ and you are loved by God. Romans 1.7, as Sproul titled a book with that title, Romans 1.7, loved by God. Be encouraged. Your affliction, your trial, your suffering doesn't take God by surprise. It's not an accident. It's meant to give you perseverance and endurance and steadfastness so that your hope will be all the more sure you are loved by God in Jesus Christ. See his work. And finally this morning, finally we are saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ and only through him. Only if you have run to the Lord Jesus Christ Only if you have repented of your sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved from the wrath of God and you can be saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God, Romans 1.18, it's revealed here and now in in this world, in this earth. It's revealed in our moral chaos. The wrath of God is revealed in the present Romans 2, 5, there is a coming day of judgment when what? When the wrath of God will be revealed. And what this passage says as Paul exults, he says we can have confidence now. We're reconciled now. We've been justified. We will be saved from the wrath of God. One commentator who's also a pastor says this, He says, a few weeks ago, a well-known pastor friend came for a visit. We had a delightful chat, getting caught up with each other. As I was backing out of my driveway to take him back to his hotel, I said something like, hey man, thanks for reaching out. This was good for my soul. Text or call me if you need anything ever. He said, yeah man, likewise. Then he said, we should be in hell, bro. His sobering words really struck me. I thought, this escalated quickly. I was just saying, text me, and he said, we should be in hell, bro. But he was right. And in that simple statement of where we would be without Christ, he was reminding me that he and I do not deserve God's grace. We do not deserve to be saved or to have a ministry. We are infinitely better off than we deserve I've got a friend like this. So 
Some of you know I've been meeting with some local pastors. One of these brothers, whom some of you know, the Lord created this man to be extra funny. And so we eat lunch together or we sit together at one of our respective churches and we meet together. And this particular guy, wonderful as he is, makes the rest of us pastors almost feel like we're wearing uh, clerical collars as we laugh at him. But I'm thankful for this brother of whom I speak because there's something about him. And it is, I think I would say, that he has never gotten over the grace of God. He's never gotten over the fact that he is a sinner deserving of hell and that God has, uh, through Jesus Christ and through the work of Christ on the cross and through faith alone, by grace alone, God has declared him righteous in his sight and there is no wrath, no none, not, none soever. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's very obvious in his words and his demeanor that he's never gotten over the grace of God. What about you, my dear brother and sister? What about you, my friend, who we're so glad you're here this morning? And if you're not a believer, have you tasted of the sweetness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only Savior of sinners, who is the very grace of God? We rejoice in God. Yes, we rejoice even in our sufferings. There is no wrath remaining. Let's close by reading verses 9 and 10. I'll read them for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, Shall we, future tense, shall we be saved by his life, by his resurrection? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would seal your word to our hearts, open our eyes. Lord, we see Paul here, not in any type of flippant giddiness, but we see him join with these believers as he says that we have been justified. We have peace with God. We have obtained access by faith. We rejoice in our sufferings. Lord, help us as a church, as Will said this morning. We must persevere individually, but what a joy that we also do that. And we do that primarily as a church. God, help us by your grace, we pray. Amen.